The following message has been brought to you by Trinity Baptist Church. For more information, visit us on the web at trinitybc.org. We're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 tonight. Um, we're going to, yeah, Frank, 6, not 14. Um, so anyway, sorry, I knew that he was taking notes. He saw earlier, I saw over the shoulder, they were already trying to get ahead of me. Um, I do encourage you to have your Bibles open, if you will. We're going to look at this entire chapter, but we're not going to get super bogged down into every verse. Uh, but we want to use this um, in, uh, to see two major points for the night. As I was preparing the, the lesson, I knew that this was the passage that I was feeling led to speak out of, but I wasn't sure how to break it down because I've seen this passage handled a myriad of ways. I mean, it's, it's really complex. There's a lot of stuff in it, but ultimately, I think there's two simple truths we can pull from it. Um, but I want to start with this question. Who in here is the rule follower? The one that just loves every little rule. They're the detailed person. Who is that? All right. The rest of you either didn't want to raise your hand and you're breaking rules, therefore being a hypocrite, or you are like the majority of people and you just think that rules are great when they're important. Like, you know, um, the really, uh, we had wives pointing to husbands. Uh, my wife laughed because I am the rule follower. She might not be, unless it's important. Um, but anyways, we're going to look at that. See, rules exist for like three reasons. I could not think of any more. Maybe you can. I don't know. The first is to protect people. Okay, that one's important. That's great. Let's protect people. We can protect yourself. Like, I don't know, no running with scissors. Pretty good rule. Unless you're a EMT or something, I guess it's a pretty good rule. Um, no, uh, maybe you're protecting others with a rule like no throwing scissors. Okay, that's pretty good too. Um, you could also have rules to protect stuff. Again, your stuff. No shoes on my new carpet. I will not have shoes in this house. Take them off. Protect your stuff. Or maybe it's um, for others. You will not eat in my car. Um, that is not how I was raised. But I wish it was. Because my kids, we did a thousand miles a week with them. And it was like a buffet back there. I mean, you'd go back there to clean out and you'd be like, why would you not just get rid of the apple core? It's, it's done. You're done with it. Don't keep it. So you got these rules. And then so protecting yourself, protect, or protecting people, protecting stuff. And the third is for respect. These are more honorary laws. These are things like uh, for yourself, no slouching. Did anyone's mom tell them no slouching? That was my mom. Get those shoulders up so now I stand like a block all the time. I have no, no flexibility. I'm just a rigid mass most of the time because my mom said no slouching. She wanted me to have the self-respect. Or maybe it's for others. No chewing gum while speaking. Nobody would like it if I was up here now chewing gum, trying to preach and teach. Man, some people, that was enough to send them to the door just that. I see one. She's like, I was already done. Um, and then maybe for establishments, like no running through graveyards with scissors. I don't know. Um, or maybe it's for respect for God, like men not wearing hats in church. Um, now that one's become a little more relaxed over the years. Some have. But we all agree that some rules are important and others are not. 
I think Christianity has in the past, especially conservative Christianity, has been known for being full of rules. Christians are supposed to do this, this, that, and the other, and they're not supposed to do this. They don't do that. They don't go with these people. They're not around these folks. Rules, rules, rules. And I think that it has hurt us, not because rules are bad, but because we have lost the point of the law. We've lost the point of the rules that God put around us. It's the whole good fences make good neighbors philosophy. Yes, that fence does help you not get into conflict with your neighbor, but do you really need a fence to be a good neighbor? No. Sometimes it helps. Anyways, moving on. Um, 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Let's get into the passage. I'm actually going to look at it backwards. I do this occasionally. I start at the end and go to the beginning because um, it helps us to see the, 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 the importance of the beginning section, the first half, the first 12 or so verses, by seeing where Paul was taking us. And then you'll kind of understand why I went that direction by the time we're in. So let's pray and then get into this passage. Dear Lord, I thank you for this evening, uh, for the folks that sacrificed of their busy time and schedules, Lord, for... Uh, gathering in your home, uh, in your house today, Lord, for uh, the opportunity to sing hymns and praises, to pray for one another and uplift each other in prayer, Lord, to get the rest and relaxation of being in your house. Lord, I pray that you would allow this time to be meaningful, purposeful, and to the point. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. All right, let's start in verse 12. All things are lawful unto me, but all things are not expedient. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. Meats for the belly and belly for the meats. But God shall destroy both it and them. Now the body is not for fornication, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. And God hath both raised up the Lord, and will also raise up us by his own power. Know ye not that your bodies are the members of Christ? Shall I then take members of Christ and make them the members of an harlot? God forbid. What know ye not that he which is joined with an harlot is one body? For two, saith he, shall be one flesh. But he that is joined unto the Lord is one spirit. Flee fornication. Every sin that man doeth is without the body, but he that committeth fornication sinneth against his own body. What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own? For ye are bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Uh, this passage, it's a little bit lengthy. We won't, like I said, we're not going to go verse by verse and dig into every bit. But I want to show you a couple things. We already mentioned that rules exist for a reason. But if we look at that first verse, verse 12, all things are lawful unto me, but all things are not expedient. So in Christ, there's a huge amount of liberty to do as you please, to do as God leads you. However, not all things are expedient. They're not healthy. They're not helpful. They're not good for you or good for your neighbors or good for your stuff, good for other people. They're not respectful. Some rules make sense. And it's not that you can't do that thing, like not go to church on Wednesday. You're allowed to not go to church on Wednesday. Did you know that you don't have to be here to be saved? You don't have to be here on Sunday to be saved. But you know what? Maybe you should be. 
It's not expedient to mix, miss church all the time. I miss a fair number of Wednesdays. I'd say about half of them. It's not expedient for me to forsake the assembling of, of believers. But it's allowed. There is not a rule book that you and I have in the sense of laws that you and I must obey. We'll get to a couple verses that reinforce that in a little bit. Um, but according to this verse, all things are lawful to believers, but not all things are healthy. Not all things are helpful. See, God's law is grace-filled, but God's will is purity. That's my first point of the two. God's law is filled with grace. There is forgiveness, there is grace, there is love, there is mercy, all of those things. However, God's will for your life is purity. It's wholesomeness, it's healthiness, it's godliness, it's Christ-likeness. You see, all things are lawful, but not all things are expedient. If we were to look at Deuteronomy chapter 30, uh, we find that God, even in the Old Testament, when typically people say that God was all justice, all wrath, all judgment, God gives the people of Israel a choice. Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 15. See, I have set before you this day life and, and good and death and evil, in that I command thee this day to love the Lord your God, to walk in his ways, and to keep his commandments and his statutes and judgments, that you would live and multiply and the Lord thy God shall bless you in the land whither you go to possess it. But if your heart turn away, so that thou wilt not hear, but shall be drawn away, and worship other gods and serve them, I denounce you unto you this day, that ye shall surely perish, and that ye will not prolong your days upon the land, whither you pass over the Jordan to go possess it. I call heaven and earth to record this day against you, that I have set before you life and death." Blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life that both thou and thy seed may live, that thou mayest love the Lord thy God, and thou mayest obey his voice, and that thou mayest cleave unto him, for he is your life. See, here we find clearly God says, You are free to live the way you choose. You are not free from the repercussions. You're not free from the consequences of sin. You're not free from the addiction to sin. We'll get to that in a minute. You can choose how to live. You hear constantly from this world, no one has the right to judge me. I'm going to live my life. Don't tell me what to do. You're right. I have no right as a Christian to be holier than thou. And we'll go back to our passage that shows that and to say, this is how you ought to live. This is what you're supposed to do. I don't have the right to do that. I can say, thus saith the Lord. And he, in this passage, says, I've set before you the choice, life or death. It's up to you. He is not going to force you to obey him. And under grace, you have so much forgiveness. I have messed up so many. I was saved at a young age. You know what? The worst things I've ever done have been after I was saved. Under grace, I have committed more sin against God than I ever did before I was saved. There are some that teach things like sinless perfection, this idea that once you're saved, nothing you can do is a sin because Christians can't sin. That's just not true. According to Scripture, you have the choice. All things are lawful, but not all things are expedient. Now, Paul clarifies to go on to say it's not all okay. He's simply saying you're not under that law. Under grace, you have a lot of liberty. 
I can't tell you how to raise your family, how to live your life, how to uh, do these things. I can just tell you what the Bible says. And brothers and sisters in Christ, you get to choose the same way Israel did, whether you will take life or death. Now, some of it is, it's like, well, surely lying on my taxes is not going to be life and death. I'm not going to, I'm born again, I'm going to, uh, I hope I didn't hit a nerve. Um, I'm born again. I didn't, uh, I don't need to be honest with them because they're lying to me. We'll go to that in a minute. All right, moving on to the next passage here. Uh, see, not all things, you don't have the right to choose your result. Pick how to live. I have met a lot of people um, that lived their entire life for themselves. That in their final weeks, days, in one case, it was his final last couple of days, he said, I wish I would have known sooner. I have never met anyone that said, man, I'm glad I was selfish with my, you know, like my grandfather, I don't speak in jest, I speak honestly here, he was not a, very difficult, did not love God, hated God. His wife, however, was a sweet church lady that loved the Lord, and I know that she's in heaven today. My grandfather lived his entire life a grumpy, mean old man. Hated, the, didn't want God, and on his deathbed, he was, uh, his wife's pastor came and said, here, you know, let me share a couple verses, and he looked him in the eyes, and he said, I didn't need him while I was living. I don't need him while I'm dying, and I looked at, the, I heard that as a kid, and I just was shocked. I was uh, saddened by it, but the reality is he got the right to choose that, but he's not free from the repercussions, and I, it breaks my heart to know that that's the reality, but that choice is yours. Uh, we're not free from that. See, every sin, if we were to go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, where um, we're looking at verse 12, not all things are expedient. See, all sin brings bondage. Every sin you commit is both addictive and sedative. It puts you to sleep. See, the, the more you do it, the more you want to, the harder it is to quit, the, the easier it is to pick it back up. And you know what? The easier it is to live with. The more you're putting things of filth before your eyes, the easier it is to keep on doing it. The more you use your mouth for, for backbiting and cutting and gossip and slander, you know what? It's just, just what people do. That person deserves it. You know what? God forgive me for my unruly mouth because all my sin is addictive and it's sedative it puts you to sleep um, I was taught at a young age that Satan has two great lies before you sin it's God will forgive you and afterward it's God won't forgive you you know you you think about this sin and you, you say it's not that big a deal everyone's doing this or you know what I've got a few things. I'm not perfect. God knows my flaws, but he knows my heart. You know what? That's the problem. He knows our hearts. It isn't expedient for us to live as the world lives. We're going to move on to the next verse here. Um, but when we look at this, God's grace will raise you up. Look at verse 14. See, uh, verse 13, we'll stop there for a quick sec. Meats for the belly and belly for the meats, or food for your stomach and your stomach for food. Okay, do we live with food as the center of our life or a part of it. Now, which one's created for which? God didn't create you so that you could be a, a 
gluttonous, ever-consuming creature. He created food to meet your needs. In the same way, we are not... Let's look what the Bible says. Uh, Now the body is not for fornication, but for the Lord, and the Lord is for the body. You were created to honor God, and that's what we're supposed to do. He He was given to us so that we could honor him, and in so doing we kind of get the the cart before the horse. We think that this body is what it's all about. What I feel, what I want, what I do, where I go, what makes me happy. God wants me to be happy. No, he does not. He wants you pure. He wants you holy, not happy. Uh, Pastor handled that very well recently. Um, So look at verse 14, though. And God hath both raised up the Lord and will also raise us up by his own power. God will forgive you for misusing your liberty. I'll tell you that right now. That is not a license to sin. We'll go to that in a minute. Um, But when we look at this, it says, it's this idea of I'm saved. God will forgive me. It's okay. We'll go to Romans later where, where Paul says, what, shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. God forbid that we should just take the, the, the liberty that God's given us and to abuse it like a credit card with no limit that we'll never have to repay. Oh, Jesus has this one. This one's on the house. Oh, you, you know, he knows who I am. He knows my heart. Hey, he knows me. It's okay. We abuse the grace of a God that has given everything. I do it daily through, if nothing else, unmindfulness. I don't know that that's a word. But the, the failure to recognize that everything I do matters to God. How I talk to my kids, how I interact with coworkers, how I witness to those around me, how I drive on the way to Green Cove, these things matter to God. Can you speed? Yeah, it's lawful. It'll be okay. But is it expedient to act like a selfish jerk and then people see your sticker, I love my church? You know, like, okay, I don't want to go there. Not everything is expedient. Moving on. Verse 15. Um, we read over this, so I won't stay there for very long. But know ye not that your bodies are the members of Christ? Don't you know you're part of the body of Christ? Your hands aren't your hands. He says it more succinctly in verse 19. What, know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost? Hey, don't you know? Don't you know that you're not yours? I'm not mine. And for me to take these hands and take these eyes and use my mind for anything but the glory of God is disrespectful to God. It's a rule that ought be followed. Sure, God's grace covers a multitude of sins. His mercies are new every day. We know that. We love that. But do we love the fact that we are not our own? We are bought with a price, and we were expensive. It cost God's only son, his life, up to and including every drop of blood to redeem us. And often we just look at it and we say, eh, it's just another Wednesday. Put it on the account. God knows who I am. He knows my heart. That's the problem. See, God's law is grace-filled, but his will for us is purity. Verse 16 
What, know ye not that he that is joined with an harlot is one body? Oh, man, this one hurts. When you look at uh, marriages, you go to a wedding, and you have like four passages that get used at weddings. Uh, you've got, you know, Genesis, where the two shall uh, become one flesh, and you've got the love suffereth and charity suffereth long. And this is a key principle. It's this idea that when you are married to someone, you bash. You're no longer two people, you're one. He says, don't you know that when you're using your body for sin, when you go to a harlot, and that can, that's not just for that one sin, when you go into sin, you are joining as one flesh, two become one, into sin. You say, man, that's pretty harsh. That's just the reality. We are not, who are we to defile what is God's? Sure you can. It's lawful. But is it expedient? Is it helpful? Is it wholesome? What are we giving him? It reminds me of Ephesians chapter 5, if you, and this is what I was talking about with the marriage passage. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. Oh, we like that. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. Yeah, man, don't we like that part? And he is the Savior of the body. Yeah, still feeling good. Therefore, as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be their own husband and everything. Husband, love your wives, even as Christ loved the church. How did he do that? Sacrificially, selflessly, taking the abuse, taking the hurt, taking the shame. Why? For the saving of that, that bride. Men, that's the part that we should focus on. Christ. Women, be the bride of Christ. Service, love, kindness, these things are, are inseparable, but instead, we're joining up with the world. Oh, we're, we're, we're bonding with the harlot, according to this passage. It's saying that we are going and becoming one flesh with this world. God forbid would be the term Paul uses in other places. And we'll, we'll go to uh, Romans 6 because I think he's actually teaching the same lesson two different times to two different audiences, but he's harping on the same song because he, it's so important to him. When he's looking at this, though, the bride of Christ, the final part of that passage says that he might present it, that is, Christ may present the church to himself, a glorious church, not having spot nor wrinkle nor any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. Friends, today I tell you, God has a lot of grace for your sinful nature, your sinful behavior, my wrongdoings, my failures as a man, my failures as a husband, my failures as a preacher. God has grace for that. But his will, according to this, is that we will be presented to him holy, spotless, without blemish, no wrinkle, no problems, none such thing, none of that. Holy. God will forgive you, sure, but his goal is holiness for his people. And it's a lofty goal. Thank God for the grace element of that. It's not a three strikes, you're out. How many times will I be forgiven? Seven? No, seven times 70? You know, getting closer, we will be continually given new mercies daily. But our goal is holiness. That's what God's will is for our life. Um, 
we also mentioned that sign, uh, I went over verse 16 here where uh, we're joining, when we join with the world, join with sin, we're becoming one flesh with that. Verse 17, but he that is joined unto the Lord is one spirit. I want us to be joined to the Lord in spirit. That is that his goals are our goals and we live for him and we try to use these members, these cor- these, this body in a way that pleases him daily. Um, Verse 18, and we'll, we'll be on to the next section here, but it says, Flee fornication. Every sin that man does is outside of the body, but he that committeth fornication sins against his own body. You're hurting yourself. It's lawful for you, but it's hurting you. Yes, you can be forgiven. Yes, there's grace. Yes, God knows your shortcomings, but you're hurting yourself. When I fall short of what God has for me, it hurts me. Yeah, it hurts my wife, it hurts my kids, there's others affected, but it's against myself. And we we get so short-sighted that we think, well, does it really matter? Yes, it matters. God's goal is holiness. All right, let's move to the other half of this. Um, You know, the reality is, according to verse 20, you're bought with a price, by God in your body and your spirit, which are God's, you were exchanged, a one-for-one redeeming, a redemption of a coupon. You had a, a certificate of ownership that was transferred to God when he paid for your sins. When you accepted Christ as Savior, it's a part and parcel. The whole thing is one package. You are not your own. But we like to hold back parts of it and say, no, this one's mine. God, you can have 85%. Aren't I good? Isn't that great? 95% of me is going to be holy this week. That 5%, that's me. That's just a little bit, of, little bit for me. Um, you mentioned earlier, no man has, uh, we've not yet seen a man fully surrendered to God. 95, that's pretty good, right? No, it's not the goal. All the way. All right, so first thing here is that God's law is full of grace, but his goal is purity. And secondly, and this is the second half, we're going to go to the first part of this section here. God's people are also to be grace-filled. And our goal should be the purity he seeks for us. His will is purity, and our goal should be that same purity. God's people are to be grace-filled, and our goal should be purity. Look at verse 1. Dare any of you, having mad, go to law before the unjust and not before the saints? Do you not know that the saints shall judge the world? And if the world shall be judged by you, are ye unworthy to judge the smallest matters? Know ye not that we shall judge angels? How much more the things that pertain to this life? If ye then have judgments of things pertaining to this life, set them to judge who are the least esteemed in the church. I speak to your shame, Is it so that there is not a wise man among you? No, not one that is able to judge between his brothers. But brother goes to law with brother, and that before the unbelievers. Now therefore it is utterly a fault among you, because you go to law with one another. Why do you not rather take wrong? Why do you not rather suffer yourselves to be defrauded? No, you do wrong, and you defraud, and that to your brothers. 
Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. That's a big list. And that is almost every single one of us. And the ones that it's not are lying us we are in this list somewhere God has said these people the unrighteous will not inherit the earth let's look at the list again not be not deceived neither fornicators idolaters adulterers effeminate abusers of themselves with mankind's thieves covetous drunkards revilers extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God and such were some of you but ye are washed, ye are sanctified, and ye are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. Friends, we are to be grace-filled because we are grace-forgiven. You have been forgiven so much in your life, and for us to go brother against brother, believer against believer, and say, that person did wrong to me. I will never forgive them for what they did. Friends, God forbid that we would get that in our hearts. That we would split a church over the color of a carpet or the song that was played or one that wasn't played. Oh, they don't do enough Christmas songs around Christmas. Oh, I don't like how they do this. The drums are too loud. We get these little things in our head and we go against one another. According to this, they were taking each other to court over silly little things and not dealing with it in the church. And he says, don't you know that one day you are going to judge angels? You're going to be in charge of ruling this world, and you can't solve this child playground nonsense? He says, Are there not a, is there not a wise man among you? Man, that must have hurt. The church at Corinth, uh, at Corinth was probably not expecting this letter to hit him dead in the middle of the, uh, the, the forehead. And he says, I speak this to your shame. Friend, I asked you at the beginning, who likes rules? I have seen rules destroy churches. Now, should we have rules? Absolutely. Not everything's expedient. And if two people are going to get along, there's going to be some boundaries. If five people are going to get along, there's more. If a thousand people, they're just not going to. You're going to have groups that just don't like each other. It's not possible. How many people don't like the guy up here? No, no, just kidding. There's, there's a reality that we're not always going to get along. There are times where someone's going to do something that is going to look to you to be selfish, thoughtless, careless, and mean. And going to say, well, that pastor didn't shake my hand. I, I tried to talk to him, and he was just too busy for me. And instead of going to him or going to someone at church and saying, Pastor, are, are you upset with me? Did I say something wrong? Uh, hey, um, I, I just really got my feelings hurt. Instead of being open and sensitive, we go to people outside of the church. We go to our parents, our friends that don't go to church, and we say, oh, I, I just, I wish I could find a good church. I don't like my church. It's not, you know, those, ah, if you knew the people, we're hurting the name of Christ. I have heard people complain. I have... There are plenty of reasons to complain if you look hard enough. Whether it's this church or the perfect church down the road, you will find one problem or another with that. And you know what's true? 
your spouse, not mine, but your spouse, has something wrong with them if you look hard enough. And if you look every day, all day, I promise you, you'll find lots of them. And I bet the longer you look and the harder you look, the bigger those problems will look. I just can't stand the way he puts the toilet paper on the top of the roll. Why would he do that? What kind of his mother raise? It's not a personal anecdote. Don't read into it. One of those random ones that people fight over. It's like, that's dumb. Why? You have toilet paper. Uh, <laughs> you see, rules have a place, but we are flawed. See, others living their lives with their liberty. All things are lawful. That means that occasionally some people's liberty is going to hurt your feelings. They're going to step on your toes. They're going to run over your dog, and it's going to hurt. And they're going to do something that makes you sad, makes you angry, makes you want to leave, makes you want to talk trash about the church, talk trash about your pastor, uh, get offended about the music selection, get mad at someone who got the special when you should have, or, or they did shoeboxes last year. Why can't we do my project this year? And they get upset about this or that or the other. Well, my favorite friend, he, my best friend is a missionary. Why can't we support them? And we get feelings hurt. And we go and talk to everyone except for the one that matters. And Paul looks at him and says, this is utterly a fault among you. There is no justifying this. What? Don't you know that you're just bought with a, that you're bought with a price? You're not your own. You got your feelings hurt. Those weren't your feelings. If you're dead to yourself... You don't have feelings. If, you are, if your will is God's will and someone violates your will, nothing was violated. My will was to stay at home and be lazy and do nothing. That's not God's will. When we are acting the way God has us to act, that wasn't a good sentence, I'm sorry. When we're acting the way God has designed for us to behave, we don't worry about what we want. When someone has a fault, we can solve it because according to this, he says, um, not only, he says, is, not, is there not one wise, but he says, um, pardon me, brother goes to law, I speak this to your shame. Is it so that there's not a wise man among you? No, not one that shall be able to judge between his brethren. But he also says in verse four, set them to judge or the person who should solve all your problems are the least esteemed in the church. These are easy matters. Let's go ask the kids how we should solve this. In fact, I practiced that dinner. I asked my daughter. I said, hey, uh, someone ran over your favorite tree. They killed it. And they came and they said, I'm sorry. How do we handle that? I don't know. Maybe they should plant you a new tree or something. Okay, that's a good solution. Both parties can agree. New tree, shake hands, and be more careful when you're driving. I asked my, my, my older kid, I said, all right, somebody was, two kids were playing on the playground. One of them was pastor's kids, and the other kid uh, pushed pastor's kid, and now he got a broken arm. Um, what should we do? Beat the child? Like, what do we do? He says, well, if they need help, we should get, if they need someone to pay for it, we should figure, you know, whoever's responsible should pay for it. Like, the kids were able to figure it out. And Paul's saying, you guys should have the children in charge because you bickering adults. Now he's talking about adults here. He's saying the least esteemed, the new Christians should be able to solve problems in the church. Well, Becky did this. 
And John, did you hear what John did? And we pick out these little teams instead of saying, you know what, our problems are nothing because Jesus Christ died for our sins and he bought us with a price and you are not your own. What, don't you know this? I speak this to your shame, he says. Now, I'm not aware of any of this in our church. I just know that this is culturally a problem. It is a problem for our culture. All right, we're almost done here. Looking at verses 5 through 7, we see that our pettiness and division is a shame to us. We should rather take the wrong. You know, according to this, would you not rather take the wrong? Why do you rather suffer yourself? You should just allow yourself to be cheated, abused, uh, lied to, mistreated for the name of Christ rather than hurting the cause. Now, this is not a license for people to run over you. This is not saying you got to keep in that undue friendship where someone's treating you beneath this, but it is saying that there's a Christ-like way to handle it that honors God, and there's a selfish, self-righteous way to handle it that hurts the name of Christ. This was such an issue that Paul had to take time to write them a letter about it. He had heard about it from wherever he was at the time and said, i got to address this. This is ugly. Friends, I've been to some ugly churches. I don't want that said about my church. We're done here in just a second. We're looking through this. Um, I'm going to skip over Romans 6 for the most part, but we know that um, Romans chapter 6 tells us um, that what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. Uh, That's the crux of that passage. It's simply saying when we know to do right and we're not doing it because God will just, it's okay. You know what? People, brothers and sisters fight. It's what we do. No, we make it right. We try to live for Christ. Um, So verse 11 is kind of where I want to finish on this. Uh, Well, not finish, but almost finish. It's a preacher's lie. Um, And such were some of you, but ye are washed, ye are sanctified, and ye are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. See, and such were some of you is a crazy powerful sentence if you think about it. He goes through this very vile list of sins. They're all the big ones. I think except murder. That's the only one that's not there, the, the big sins, you know, because we like to categorize which ones are big and which ones are little. Oh, mine's little. These ones are big. His is bad, very bad. And we look at that and we, we just categorize. But according to this, he says, you guys were the same way. Friends, I was the same way. You were the same way. Pastor Brandon, he's not here. I can say this. He was the same way. Such were were past tense according to this you are washed you are sanctified you are justified in the name of the lord jesus friends i hope that we are living in such a way that it's a were a was yeah it's lawful for you to live the way you want but it's not expedient god's grace has been poured on you greatly and when others do what you used to do where's that same grace god showed you Christians do what Christians do, and unsaved do what unsaved do. In closing, looking at verse 19 and 20, uh, we've looked at these a couple times. This is the whole point of his, his paragraph here. He says, What know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you, which ye have of God? Ye are not your own, for ye are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. So my parting question to you is, is Paul's. Don't you know that you belong to God? Growing up, last name of Clifford, often I was ashamed of it. 
Clifford the Big Red Dog, and I was big. I'm big now, but I was, like, as a little kid, I was a big kid. And a very round kid, you know, and Clifford the Big Red Dog was a mocking thing, but you know what my parents always instilled to me is, no Clifford will behave that way. No Clifford will do that. No Clifford will go there. You, not while you have my name. Friends, you do not bear the name of, that your parents gave you when you're a Christian. You bear the name of Christ. Not in my house is what my dad used to tell me, and Christ tells you today, not in my house. Not in my house. Get the, the things that you used to be that are addictive and sedative, put them out. Put them out. They're not helping you, they're not helping me, and they're hurting those around you. They're hurting yourself. They're a sin against you. When others hurt you, are you seeing it as against you still? You're not your own. The goal is Christ-likeness. You see, nothing will hurt this church more than selfish thinking, the big I, the ego, and nothing will help it more than people seeing Christ through us every time we go to Winn-Dixie, every time we go to the, the, you know, up the street to, to Middleburg and deal. Every time we go anywhere, we bear the name of Christ. You can, people say, well, you guys all think you're perfect. No, such was, I was like that. But Christ is perfect. Oh, he's got grace for you, but his goal is purity. That should be our goal as well. Let's pray and be done. Dear Lord, I thank you for this evening. I um, struggle with this because I know how short I fall of the goal. I know that this week I'm guilty of uh, sins that I've named today. Lord, I don't find myself to be as repugnant as I should sometimes because I forget that I'm yours and that the goal is absolute purity. It's absolute holiness. God, I pray that you would help me live up to your name this week and between now and Sunday that I would bring honor to you and that I would not hurt the cause of Christ or this church through actions or reputation and that I would be a shining light for those around me. But Lord, I pray more for us as a church to be different, one not marked by pettiness, and rules and laws, but grace with the goal of holiness. Lord, we thank you for this. In Jesus' name, amen.